When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Diving heavily into whatever culture you're surrounded by is you're gonna, you, you won't miss. You will always have a great experience. As long as you're not afraid of, you know, potential awkwardness, language barrier, difficulties, anything like that, but just lean in and you'll, you'll, you'll find some amazing things. That's Alex Gasgarth of the band All Time Low talking about experiencing different cultures and enjoying life while on the road touring. Alex talks about the band's new material, what he thinks about his music's ability to help inspire listeners, and much more on this episode of Behind the Set List. Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. We recently talked to Alex Gasgarth, the singer and guitarist in the pop punk band All Time Low. You can call them a rock band, an emo band, an alternative band, I suppose. Um, but with the music playing in the background, when you hear it, I think you know what to call it. People have their own different words for it. All Time Low is part of an upsurge of pop-infused punk bands in the early to mid-2000s, along with the likes of Fall Out Boy, Plain White Tees, and Paramore. The band signed to Emerald Moon Records in 2004, where they released an EP and their debut album, and then signed to Hopeless Records in 2006. Their second album for Hopeless called Nothing Personal, hit number four on the Billboard 200 album chart in 2009. Dirty Worked, released on DGC in 2011, hit number six. And Dope Panic, back on Hopeless Records, repeated at number six in 2012. Another Hopeless Records album, Future Hearts, reached number two in 2015. All Time Low's last three albums were released on Fueled by Ramen, including the band's latest, it's called Tell Me I'm Alive. That came out a couple of weeks ago. Their highest charting track, has been Monsters, which features Demi Lovato and Black Bear. That hit number 55 in 2021. They've got a successful catalog, and it's given All Time Low a lot to work with in its live shows. Songs like Dear Maria from their 2007 album So Wrong, It's Right. That's probably their best-known song. They ended the night with Weightless, which is one of my favorite rock songs ever. Uh, I love the line, Maybe It's Not My Weekend, But It's Gonna Be My Year. It may sound a little corny, but I've always found that line inspiring. We talked to Alex about the band's set list while he was out on tour in Europe. And you can tell he's backstage from the occasional background noise. Not only did we talk about the actual set list and the nuts and bolts side of the live show, but we got his thoughts on what it's like to tour through some of Europe's great cities and how he manages to be a tourist while he's busy being a touring musician. The band's tour starts up again in May in Florida before hitting the beautiful Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, making its way out west, then down to Texas, the Midwest, and the Northeast. They play a couple of dates in Mexico in June and will perform at the When We Were Young Festival in Las Vegas on October 21st and 22nd. So now, without further ado, here's All Time Low, behind the set list. Let it roll. You guys have been around 20 years. 
I think of you as like this, this band that's not been around very long. Um, and <laughs> that's crazy. You have, I, I, I looked it up. It says, uh, you know, with the new album, Tell Me I'm Alive, uh, coming out in a couple of weeks, <clears throat> you guys have released nine studio albums, six EPs, two live albums, 29 singles, 39 music videos. And with that kind of embarrassment of riches to choose from, how do you craft a set list uh, and, and make everybody happy? Uh, that is probably the one thing at this point that our band has any legitimate arguments about anymore. Um, you know, 20 years being a band, you kind of work through all of the potential issues. You know, you're not going to make it 20 years if there's lingering problems, you know, between members. So we've, we've managed to, to work through all that. But the one that remains is how we agree upon a 90 minute set list, which is currently what we're playing over here in Europe. And I got to say, like, it's a it's a task. It is a task every time we sit down to make our set list. Um, <laughs> a lot goes into it. A lot of thought. You know, I think particularly this year, we're sort of on the on the brink of releasing a new album while also sort of trying to celebrate 20 years of, of being a band with eight or nine albums, depending on who you ask. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite a bit of balancing spinning plates. At this show in Warsaw a couple of days ago, that's the set Jay and I were looking at. You play dear Maria last. Is that safe to say that's your most popular song? or one of your most popular songs? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the numbers, I would say it probably is. I think um, it's probably the one that has defined a huge part of this band. Like, I think if you ask, you know, hey, do you know All Time Low? A lot of people would say, yeah, Jim Maria. Um, you know, I think that's the one that throughout all the generations and eras of this band has always put its hand up as being sort of a mainstay. Um, it's always been a mainstay in our show. And to be honest, I think We've probably closed with it for the better part of like 15 years at this point. Um, I, I would think maybe maybe a little less than that, but um, yeah, it sort of it sort of quickly became a definitive song for us in the catalog, and um, we've just always embraced that, always leaned into it. What's your approach to where you put your most popular song? We we ask bands this a lot, and there's there's different um, approaches to this. Generally people don't want to play their most popular song too early in case people show up late and they don't want to miss it. And they, then they'll get fans complaining. Sometimes they don't want to save it till last, but you can maybe save it till last if you got other great songs to put in the middle. So how do you guys think about where to put the song that most people want to hear? We've, as I said, we've just always closed with it. I don't really remember why. I think what it was, was when we were, when we were coming up, and we were quite a bit younger and we were looking at bands like Fall Out Boy and Blink-182 and um, sort of the first kind of wave of, of bands that inspired us and the ones that we were sort of chasing after, emulating, wanting to be like. Um, and, and both of those bands uh, have songs that they always close with. Uh, every time I've seen them from a kid to now, they always close with the same song. And for Blink, it's Damn It. And for, um, for Fall Out Boy, it's Saturday. And uh, we just kind of thought that that was really cool. Even just all the way back then, we just thought, oh, it's so cool that like, no matter how many new songs they put out, no matter how big their new songs get, they always put in that one older song right at the end and, and you know, kind of throw it back for, for the diehards. And so we sort of, uh, we decided like then and there that we were going to kind of follow that pattern and do that same thing. So yeah, it's, that one's always been a no brainer until recently, I'll tell you, 
I, I started saying it was shortly after the pandemic and, and as things started getting back to some semblance of normalcy and shows started coming back, one of our first shows back was um, Lollapalooza in Chicago. And I was, I was beating down everybody's doors before that show being like, we have to just open with it. We have to open with it. Um, and we ended up landing on a compromise. Like I, I was like, all right, well, at least let me come out and play like the first 10 seconds of it just to get like that. that Cause the, you know, they have two main stages facing each other. And I was like, if we come out and open with that, like we're going to get that whatever 40,000 people watching Jimmy Eat world are turning right around and running at us. So I was like, we got to do this. And sure enough, it, it worked, but it was also like the biggest tease of all time. Cause I think I played about 15 seconds and then went like, nah, you gotta wait. So, <laughs> but it was fun. That's great. So let's talk about the beginning of the show. Um, you start out PMA, let it roll. Something's got to give sort of reminded me of like uh, going to see the Ramones. It was just like, bam, 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 like right there. And then you kind of shift gears a little bit and it really fit well. Um, you, you had uh, tell me I'm alive, new track uh, and, and modern love. And it fit really well there. Talk about how you kind of crafted that intro. Sure. I think, you know, this, this tour that we're on currently is, is sort of, it culminates uh, with, a, with a record release show at Wembley Arena in London. And so we wanted to make a show that felt, again, like it was sort of spanning the generations and the eras of this band and kind of getting it all in while also still obviously having to recognize that there's new music and a new album and ma making sure that that was at the forefront and we weren't shying away from that. And so, you know, to me, it's always been every, my, all my favorite shows always hit you in the face you know what i mean the band comes out and their opening few songs is like whether it's their biggest songs or not doesn't necessarily matter as long as it feels like this really impactful moment for the audience where you establish that connection and that electricity so to me it's less so about hey we don't need to come out and open with one of our biggest songs we can but we can come out and open with things that feel really electric and like they set the tone for the entire show grab people and don't let go um and i think that's a really pivotal moment and what i love about these first couple is like pma and let it roll are very fast paced very energetic songs and then let it roll kind of coasts into this anthemic like halftime feel and it's a really nice like one two punch followed by like a safety net of like everybody just Everybody just chill. Everybody just chill for a minute. Um, and then, yeah, then we roll into we roll into some new music, and it feels like a really nice scene change, a really nice transition. Um, those two songs in particular on the record are two of the more uh, piano-leaning. Um, the, the record kind of takes a few different twists and turns in the journey, but one of the big mainstays on this record is that we wrote a lot of it around uh, the addition of a, of a very noticeable piano um, in a lot of the tracks. And uh, that has to do with a... A, a guy, Dan Swank, who collaborated on the record with us, but also um, started playing with us live as an auxiliary musician. And having that ability to have live piano was something that ended up informing um, how we wanted to write the album. So kind of transitioning into that moment and going like, here's the theatricality, here's the piano, here's this thing, uh, is a really nice way early on in the show to like establish where, you know, sort of the direction of where we're going. What's the fans' reactions to the to the new material? Is it a challenge to to break out new material on stage? I've been so unbelievably pleasantly surprised by how well these songs have gone over. You know, sometimes there is a bit of like a, a, a some growing pains and like that awkward phase where not everybody in the crowd necessarily knows the new stuff. Um, and these, you know, these songs haven't been out that long, so I wouldn't blame anybody. You know, but it's it's pretty wild how even overseas in in 
you know, countries that were playing where English is not the first language, um, just how many people are screaming along? It's been pretty mind blowing. And, you know, a lot of these markets we haven't played for five years, you know, we, we, we didn't get to come over to Europe on the last record and things like that. So it's really, uh, we were kind of taken aback after the first few shows by just how many, how many people knew these new songs and were going absolutely nuts for it. Yeah. You played at this show that we looked at, you played three of my uh, four favorite uh, ATL songs, uh, Somewhere in Neverland, Do You Want Me, Weightless, but you didn't play Damned If I Do Ya. And I'm wondering, <laughs> do you do you rotate things around or is it so strict because you have, you know, video screens or whatever that you can't uh, rotate things? How does that work? We do. We do rotate. I think in the particular case of Damned If I Do Ya, we sort of just felt like there were in, in crafting this 90 minute show, we sort of felt like there were some songs that we had just kind of done to death. And unfortunately <laughs> that one, that one just kind of fell into the category of like, oh man, it is such a staple song, but there are some other staple songs we, we feel like we haven't nurtured as much in the years past. And so like, let's swap a few out. And uh, that one just, you know, it got benched and it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> like that. It's like you're playing with a stacked roster. And uh, sometimes, you know, even if it's one of your best players, it's like, you're going to sit this one out and we'll, <laughs> we'll keep you in the back pocket. But, you know, to your point, it's interesting, too, because like, you know, we have so much of our show is on the production of our show is on automation. Um, you know, so it's like our lights, our video, all of that stuff is is played to time code. And so um, it, it creates this interesting factor, too, where we if you know, if we want to rotate songs in and out, it's almost like we have to create the additional content and have that in the wings as well. So sometimes like I love tours where we can go out and, and, you know, the person doing lights is just hitting buttons live and it is a free for all. And you can play, like we can call out what we're going to play next and nothing gets affected. But in this case, you know, with this show and with the production going in, it was kind of like, we had to be a bit more intentional with how committed we were to what the show is going to be because it's like, it's a run of show. Are the days over of a band just breaking from the set list and, and catering to the crowd's demands for some European B-side over and or, or are you just sticking to the set list and that's it? You got to play what, what it's certainly it? not over for us. I don't think it's over. I mean, that's some of my favorite moments at, at our live shows happen in those moments of spontaneity. You know, we'll, we'll have people in the front row who have been at every single show on the tour. And, uh, you know, one night they'll just be like, they'll call something out, play therapy, play JC Ray, play, you know, whatever. And assuming that we can figure out a way to tune up the guitars in time and get everybody on the same page we'll, we'll absolutely bust those out when we can, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. And it, it keeps it fun for us too, to be honest, because, you know, when you're out here doing a show every day, it's nice to, to mix it up. And especially when it comes from an interactive moment like that with, with the audience and, um, you sort of feel that appreciation and that excitement in the moment, like that kind of feedback keeps us really excited on stage. And I think makes for a better show. You know, we're looking at the dates that you're playing right now. And uh, Glenn commented that it looked like the Europass uh, tour because you're going through all these beautiful countries, all these great cities. And it looks like you've got, for some of them, you've got a couple of days off in between. Are you able to get out, explore, try some new restaurants, you know, see the uh, sites. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's something that I really try not to take for granted, uh, especially now um, on tour is the fact that, you know, we, we are seeing some incredible places and uh, assuming that I'm not like exhausted from like a four or five on run where I need a day to just like lay in a bed and 
have my muscles stop aching. Like, um, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely a big emphasis on like, I want to get out and I want to, I want to see these towns. I want to see these cities. I mean, we're in Berlin right now and Berlin is such a cool city. And, um, you know, it was, I, I think everybody was just out doing their thing all day yesterday on our day off. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, these countries, these cities are, are gorgeous and have so much to offer as far as food and experience and, and everything. So it's, yeah, after, after not being able to come here that, you know, Europe was tough for, for touring, um, through the pandemic and after, because it's, it's one thing to like, you know, the UK opened up their borders and it was like, okay, we can go and do some shows in the UK. But then we like, do we build a Euro tour into that? It's like, no, because each of these countries that you would be driving into every night, like some were open, some were not. And it just didn't, it wasn't financially or practically viable for a couple extra, you know, an extra year to go and tour there. So it was like, we were removed from these, some of our favorite markets for too long. Uh, so yeah, I mean, now that we're here, it's like, everybody's, everybody's getting it in. So Alex, the tourist, what does Alex, the tourist do? If you got a few hours, what during the day is it after a show? Is there, is there time to be a tourist or is this daytime stuff? There's, there's different, different experiences at different hours, as we all know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's like, it's like, I'll absolutely take an opportunity to go and just walk around. I'll, I think the other day in, in, uh, Warsaw, I think I walked like 10 or 11 miles with a couple of the guys just wandering the city. Um, and then, you know, uh, there's, there's all kinds of nonsense you can get into after hours, you know, after shows there's in every one of these cities, there's something, uh, to go and do a late night food spot, a great bar, a speakeasy, um, you know, like we were in Prague the other day and Prague is known for his absinthe. It's, you know, like that's, a, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, you might as well dive in, uh, head first to like what that city, what that culture has to offer and, and experience it. You know, I feel like, um, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain and his philosophies and his, uh, his um, work and, and the kind of the mentality that he carried in travel and exploring. And, um, you know, I, I feel like diving heavily into whatever culture you're surrounded by is you're gonna, you, you won't miss, you will always have a great experience as long as you're not afraid of, you know, potential awkwardness, language barrier, difficulties, anything like that, but just lean in and you'll, you'll, you'll find some amazing things. You know, there's a part of the show, a really cool segment uh, of your live show, where you kind of bring things down a, a little bit before you kind of hit that big finish, um, basement noise, missing you, some kind of disaster. Talk about that segment of the show. Yeah, it's it's nice because it, it you know, I think in a longer show, it's important to kind of create some ebbs and flows. Um, I think with a band like us, that's that's particularly known for like playing pretty like energetic, anthemic you know, rock driven music or whatever you want to call it, pop rock. Um, it's, you kind of have to give people a breather and there have to be some moments where you allow the dynamics of other songs to take over. And, um, that's one of those moments. And, uh, you know, basement noise in particular has been really fun to play on this tour because again, it's, a, it's a song about our beginnings. It's literally an ode to writing songs in Ryan's basement when we were 16 years old, just starting out. And so I think 20 years in, there's a really, it's a nice reflective moment for everybody to kind of realize what we're doing, why we're here and what it's all about. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, again, like including the piano and, and incorporating the piano more into the live show. Um, it's, it's been interesting because I, I can find my way around a piano. This tour has challenged me to 
actually step up and go like, no, I got to learn. I got to learn this and I got to do it live and I'm going to play and I'm going to, this is going to become a part of my repertoire. And so I figured just diving in and doing it in front of thousands of people every night is the best way to sort of like learn. Cause if I screw it up, you know, it's, it's everybody's watching. So I find that I make a few less mistakes when it's like the pressure's on. Um, so there's, yeah, I've, I've been playing, we stripped back a song called once in a lifetime. That's a newer song of ours, but I've been doing that sort of more as like a, a piano ballad. Um, and what's incredible about that too, is like, we, I, we'd never thought to do it that way, but it really kind of, it brought out the, the somber nature of that song. Cause it's, I mean, ultimately it's a sad song. It's a song about loss and coping. And, um, when, when you break it down to that kind of structure, it, it really hit. Like I, I found myself playing it in front of people for the first time saying, don't screw up, don't screw up as I went through the motions on piano. And then I found myself like welling up as I got to the chorus. I was like, damn, this is like an emotional song and an emotional moment. And I hadn't thought about it that way in so long because usually I'm just up there jumping around with a microphone in my hand. Um, and it, yeah, that creates a really cool, really cool, unique moment that I don't think an all-time low show ever had before. So 20 years in, new moment. It's nice. I'd like to know what songs you look forward to playing live. Is there is there something that stands out? And that might be a bit like asking a parent to choose between favorite kids. Might be tough, but for whatever reason, and, and what reasons might those be, are there some songs that you look forward to that like playing live more than others? Big time. Um, I mean, backtracking through the set a little bit here, but you know, we mentioned Modern Love. Uh, it's a new song. But we, we kind of do this little mashup of uh, at the bridge of that song, we, we actually, because it's the same feel and, and similar key as another one of our older songs called Stella. And um, in order to kind of get, get another throwback moment into the show without taking up an entire song, um, we, we started playing a bit of Stella during the bridge of Modern Love. And that has become this moment where as it, like you can see it dawn on everyone in the crowd, what's happening. And then there's just like this little extra cheer that happens at the bridge. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. I'm glad this worked. Cause it's, you know, you take, you, you swing on little ideas like that to make a show more unique. And you have no idea going in if anyone's going to care or appreciate it. You just think as the musician, you're like, this could be cool, but no, like people have been loving that. And so that makes me, you know, really look forward to that moment. Um, Dirty Laundry is one in our show that I think is a really like, when we put that song out, everybody went, what? This sounds nothing like All Time Low. I mean, I remember that was the first single we put out from our record, uh, uh, Last Young Renegade. And um, I'll never forget, like the reactions of the fans were just like, what in the world is All Time Low doing? And, you know, it's those moments are cool, though, for, for you know, I think you have to every now and then write these songs that challenge yourself and challenge the the audience um, to kind of question what they think they know about your band. Um, and, you know, years later that has become another mainstay in the show and it absolutely goes off live. And it's, it's something that before we wrote it, we didn't have that vibe in the set. We never had a dynamic like that in the show. Um, and it, it's, it's one that I love playing live. Um, and then sleepwalking, I'm going to go with sleepwalking. It's, you know, it's the, it's one of the newer singles. And um, again, it's this really, uh, like driving anthemic and and powerful even more so live than, than it feels on on record but but powerful moment in the show and we sort of we we hit that one right before we walk off stage before the encore um so it, it like it feels like a really impactful way to kind of soft close the show if you will yeah i want to talk about weightless a little bit because 
it's one of my favorite rock songs ever. Uh, Thank it's you just, so much. Wow. For me, it's it's special. There's a, there's a line in it. Uh, maybe it's not my weekend, but it's going to be my year. And it may sound kind of corny, but I always found that line inspiring, you know. And I wanted to ask yeah. you if you ever get comments from fans, you know, like that, whether about Weightless or any of of your songs, where you know it provided some kind of, you know, strength or inspiration for them. Yeah, we have we have heard that. And first of all, thank you for saying that. That's really cool to hear. I it means a lot to hear that. Um really appreciate it. Uh but but yeah, I mean we have over the years we have heard from from fans, from listeners um with stories about how a particular song helped them get through a rough patch or helped them feel more connected to a community um when they, you know, maybe didn't feel accepted in their lives. Things like that. You know, I I think um being told those stories is really moving and really uh, incredible for us because when you, when, at least when I write a song, I'm not necessarily thinking of those, of how it's going to connect for other people. I'm kind of pulling from my own experiences or the experiences of things close to me or directly around me. Um, and what that song, like what it does for me in that moment is, is really all I'm focused on when I'm feeling my way through writing a song. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever really gone into writing a song going like, I hope this, this will speak to someone in this way. Like I, it's never really been my focus. And so getting that feedback and, and hearing, you know, oh yeah, this, this helped me through this or whatever. It's just, um, it's very humbling and it's very, uh, it, it, it quickly becomes one of the motivators for why you keep doing this. You know I mean? Like it, it's, uh, when we started this band again, like none of us had any intention of like, I don't think we, we knew that we could help people. You know what I mean? We just weren't thinking about it that way. Um, and to find out that we have is incredible. And um, yeah, it's, it, that never gets old to hear. It's, it's really genuinely one of the coolest things about what we get to do. So we see online that you played the chorus of Alphaville's forever young at this Warsaw show and then another show, maybe in Prague, the intro for Metallica's Master of Puppets. And we always like to hear what cover songs bands are doing. It doesn't sound like you're doing complete songs, but you're you're having fun with some other people's songs. What's going on with these snippets? Yeah, so, um, well, the Forever Young moment is, is it's built into the show, and it's basically uh, that song is referenced in Somewhere in Neverland there's a scene set in the lyrics of somewhere in Neverland where um, the, in the, I think it's, it flips, but in the first verse, they're, they're listening to forever young. And then in the, in the second verse, it kind of spins it and goes like trying to feel forever young. And um, so I kind of like the idea of lacing in a part of that song just to get the audience there uh, and mentally set up somewhere in Neverland. Um, the Metallica thing, a bit <laughs> of a different kick. Uh, that was uh Jack was talking about how on our Wikipedia page, he is referred to as the lead guitar player. And um, I have always taken a bit of an issue with that because I play plenty of leads too. <laughs> and, uh, so I was, I was challenged. I think I just challenged him in the moment. I said, uh, I said, you know, hit me with a riff. I need something. Give me master of puppets. And I just completely randomly threw out. There's no way he's going to pull this off the top of his head. And then sure enough, he like absolutely rips through it. Um, and it was during a moment in the show where I was still, I had an acoustic guitar. So then I did my best version of Master of Puppets on an acoustic guitar. And that's pretty much what that was. So apologies uh, to Metallica for absolutely ruining your song. 
Alex, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy day uh, on your Europass tour over there. Um, Looking forward to the album, looking forward to seeing you when you get back to the States, but it's just been such a pleasure talking with you today. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate all the time, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's great. 